Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. New York Mets have a new manager, and it's a very high-profile one. According to MLB insider Steve Cohen, Buck Showalter will be the new manager of the team. Cohen, who also owns the club, offered Showalter a three-year deal. I'm told that that offer came in on Saturday morning. That was the morning after Cohen had Showalter out to his house for a second-round interview. A whole bunch of candidates had Zoom interviews with Sandy Alderson and Billy Epler more than a week ago. Uh, that was whittled down to three finalists, Showalter, Tampa bench coach Matt Cotrero, and uh, Houston bench coach Joe Espada. Uh, all three met with Cohen uh, this past week. Espada and Cotrero would have been much more on trend with what a lot of teams are doing now, whether it's Kevin Cash or Dave Roberts or Alex Cora. Uh, the idea lately has been to take younger, less experienced managers and put them in collaboration with an analytics-driven front office. Showalter is certainly no stranger to analytics or any other baseball concept, uh, but it's an outside-of-the-box hire in a way compared to what's temporary right now. But what this came down to for the Mets and Cohen and why our reporting and others made this seem virtually inevitable over the past week to two weeks is that Cohen has spent a huge amount of money on this roster already. If you recall, before the lockout, he signed none other than Max Scherzer, and they made a lot of other moves in free agency. He wants to win now. He wants to return on that investment now. Uh, so experience was always going to win the day here. Showalter is a great guy to talk baseball with, knows as much about the game as just about anybody. Uh, his meeting with Cohen went predictably well. Cohen was charmed by his baseball knowledge. Uh, Showalter, of course, uh, managing is what he does. So he's been looking forward to getting back in this game and hoping for the opportunity ever since the Orioles let him go. And it really just seems like the right pairing at the right time because of what the Mets need, because of what Showalter wants, 
And now they move forward with a three-year contract, Showalter managing the Mets, a lot of Mets fans getting what they want for Christmas. I think it's a huge issue for this team, but I don't think it's all going to fall on Buck Showalter's shoulders. I think he's already starting to see some of those changes taking place. I go back again to the signing of Scherzer. Obviously, Steve Cohen wants uh, you know to to win now. I think one of the most divisive guys in that clubhouse a year ago was Marcus Stroman. He's no longer in that clubhouse, so I think uh, you know that in and of itself might help you know gel some of these guys. But look, Buck is a guy that, to Jim's point, is old school in a lot of ways but has the ability to communicate with the players of today. He obviously has the respect um, of players of today. And I think this team has to want to galvanize together because last year would have should have been an embarrassment for the club considering the expectations that they had on them and the way they played in light of that. So I think Buck's, Buck's job is not an easy one, but I think he's the right guy to take all the pieces that he's got and forge ahead forward with it. And I expect that he's going to get this club all clicking on the same page before spring training ends. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, December the 19th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And we want to welcome in our good friends. Our partners, the Fan Sided Podcasting Network, and you could check out all the great content over at our buddies at risingapple.com. Well, welcome in. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. I do say Merry Christmas on here, so if you get mad, shut off the dial. Day 18 of the MLB lockout. So we continue on that. But as Mets fans coming into the show, it really hasn't been a lockout downtime, at least the first three weeks, because we've all been waiting anticipation of, well, who's going to manage the Mets? And as I said last week, it was almost fortuitous that we had this wild free agent spending spree, and then it all stopped short because of the lockout, gave the Mets time to regroup, take a breath, hire some front office analytics people, it looks like. I'm sure they're doing a ton of stuff on the back end that we don't even know about. And then... Saturday afternoon, yesterday, you may have been out shopping for holiday stuff. You may have been watching college football. Who knows what you were doing? Maybe you were scrolling Twitter. But if you were and you weren't following Steve Cohen, you missed out because in this new regime with Steve Cohen, with Billy Epler, with Sandy Alderson, with Bryn Alderson, go on, so on, so forth, you don't get a lot of leaks. But you know who leaks? Steve Cohen. He is, as you heard Andy Martino say, the MLB source for the hiring of Buck Showalter. And I know everybody got on my case about sounding like uh, the Brooklynese Showalter. Showalter. I'm going to have to get that chewing of the L down pat before. I'll, just like the PR, like see, Pilar VR got me last year. 
And I figured it out. Shoal Walter. Not Shoal Walter. Shoal Walter. I got to get the Brooklynese out of me. Shoal Walter. Buck Shoal Walter now is the new manager of the New York Mets. And we'll get to the dissenters. I saw some of the complaints. And that's mainly the Twitter universe, which I'm starting to realize, whether it be sports, world affairs, music... The Twitter universe is this loud minority that just annoys everybody. Sometimes there's a portion of the fan base on Twitter that I wish they would just go away. And I know that Steve Cohen doesn't want them to go away because those are customers, but I wish they'd go away because they drive me crazy. You can listen to this program and get mad at me because that'll be cool, but I wish they would go away. So anyway, you did not have to be a genius to know that this was the best. And, And you've heard me say it a thousand times, and I'll say it again. Your manager needs to manage the media. Your manager needs to manage up and needs to manage his boss, and that is much more complicated. In this case, it might even include a demanding owner. He needs to know how to run a clean clubhouse. And you don't want put all the analytics and all that other stuff aside for a minute. You need to manage a bullpen. That is where the most, most important part of being a baseball manager, an MLB manager is. That bullpen. That bullpen is going to decide games. Uh most nights and buck knows this because he lost a playoff well not a playoff series but a wild card game because of the way he managed the bullpen and maybe in a way that to this day still sits or sticks in the craw of some orioles fans with zach Britton. we'll get to that you've heard it best why is buck the best person for this job look at the headlines in the back paper off the bat even the daily news who hates the mets and can't wait to, to throw them under the bus. And all the mocked headlines about the Mets for weeks and weeks and weeks, pretty much all the way back to when they started to collapse back in August, had a positive headline for Buck Showalter. The veteran journalist that can still influence opinions in this town, John Harper, Joel Sherman, Bob Clappish, Mike Puma, even the children that are in the media, some of the children who I, who, who I will not name, probably can't even go woke on them and dig up his past and ruin this one like they ruined some of the others. So you can't really go much better than Buck Showalter in this kind of hire with the media. As far as his uh, way of running a clubhouse, the guy, and you if you watch, like I said on the last show, the base, Baseball Life, the guy has direct, open, and honest communication. In this day and age, we're like, oh, how can you say that? I hear that all the time. How can you say that? Well, you can still be honest with people and say difficult things and walk away and still feel good about the conversation. I think that's a nuance that has been lost. And I think a lot of new managers don't know how to do that because they've been told it's a new generation. It's a new a new player. They don't like criticism. They don't like you going to the press. They don't like uh, uh, being told that, that they're no good. Well, that's life. And if it's true that Luis Rojas hugged, and that was always the concern we had when he came in, hug that line between being their buddy versus being their boss, then this is a, a breath of fresh air. As far as managing his bosses, Billy Epler tried to hire him before. Buck Schoenbauer comes from a tremendous coaching tree. We're talking all the way back to Billy Martin. And think about all the baseball knowledge that Billy Martin learned going all the way back to his baseball tree that goes back into the 50s. Think about the generations of knowledge that has been passed around. A, a, a nuance, an art that I think gets overlooked in a, in a day where, you know, who's the youngest mind that understands analytics and can implement analytics? 
life is so much more than that. I mean, we're, we're acting like this guy is 95 years old and hasn't managed since the 80s. I mean, really. Uh, Billy Epler, definitely coming from that same tree with Gene uh, Michael. I don't think there'll be any problems with them communicating. I'm sure that that was a big conversation with everybody. And look, Steve Cohen, who's involved, along with his wife, who seems to be very involved, hosting at his house. You can't get more intimate than that. It seems like Cohen likes to have that relationship, taking players out to dinner and whatnot. I know that'll be a topic of conversation when there's going to be a tough decision to be made by the media. That's down the road. That's not for today. And you've gotten firsthand endorsements from players like Zach Britton and Brad Brock, and I'm sure there are others that I'm missing, where you know they basically said, hey, this guy knows how to manage a bullpen. This guy knows what he's doing. So you cannot really, and I know there's complaints, and we'll talk about some of the concerns, and I'll address them, about this hire. It's been 20 years since the Mets had a good manager. 20 years since Bobby Valentine. And I'll tell you what, you want examples of how what, of why Buck Showalter is a great manager? You don't want to believe that, you know, oh, that 34-23 and 23 turnaround when the Orioles were on a 62 Mets pace losing streak the first year he was in Baltimore when he took, took over midseason. I believe that was 2010. You don't want to believe that. You don't believe that. You don't believe that's a mirage. You, you said, ah, they never won anything in Baltimore, you know. All that stuff. You don't want to believe what I tell you. Just looking at it from afar, doing your research. Well, sign up and get a free subscription if you want, even a trial. And go to Ken Rosenthal's article on The Athletic, which really talked about a lot of things about Buck Showalter. And you will see how Buck Showalter is an old school manager that brings a lot of good old school components to the dugout. And uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But first... You all know I'm part of the fan-sided podcasting network and a huge NBA fan. I've mentioned the Knicks before. I mean, you've heard it. With that, fan-sided has something special for you. I really wanted to share it with you. The Knuckleheads podcast brings on some of the best NBA players past and present to have totally unguarded conversations about sports, culture, and basketball nostalgia. For the last seven years, former NBA players Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles are doing the podcast I remember Quentin Richardson from his Knicks days. Guests this season include Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Sue Bird, and DeMar DeRozan. They also invite special guests, high-profile athletes, musicians, and entertainers to get brutally honest about everything from current events to untold stories from the golden era of sports and culture. Named for the -the on-the-court celebration they made wildly popular, this unfiltered, hilarious, and surprising podcast is like playing NBA 2K with no fouls. Check out the Knuckleheads podcast and let them know that Mike Silva from the Talking Mets podcast sent you. How long before somebody complains about me embedding an ad for the good folks over at Fansided? Look, they asked me to do something. They're great partners. Uh, you know, it helps support the show. I'm sure it did. And you know what? You're going to laugh. That didn't sound like Wayne's World. And I'm dating myself on that, but go into like the the product placement comedy from the old Michael Myers, uh, Dana Carvey, Wayne's World uh, movies. So that was actually, I thought, pretty cool. So you're going to see more of that. But but as I said before we took a, a short break, there's an article in The Athletic where Manny Machado and J.J. Hardy and Zach Britton, former players of Buckshaw Walter in Baltimore, really talked about some of their experiences with him. And I think one of the biggest 
things that is remembered, and it's a negative thing about Buck, is that playing game with, I think it was 2017, when he did not bring Zach Britton in a game that went extra innings, and they wound up losing to Toronto, and leaving a close who had a 0.54 ERA in, never bringing him into a tie game on the road. I mean, that's that's analytics. Those are the way the analytics guys scream. You know, oh, you're 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 playing the old school percentage where you only bring your closer in with a lead. And there's a lot of nuance to that game, and that's not what that's all about. But I think what was most impressive was the story that Britton talked about. And this story is old school, out of the playbook, David Johnson, Jim Leland, Bill Parcells. This 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 reminded me of Pat Riley. Like this is the stuff that Pat Riley would do with those old Knicks teams. So the next year, you show up to spring training. Buck always does these, you know, off-site get-togethers, movie theater, and all this other stuff about the previous season, creating like a bonding moment, which I think is so important. It's overlooked. Everybody talks about data, process, this, training, understanding the data, breaking down the the analytics, the spin rate, breaking down the uh, exit velocity. These are people. They need to be together for six months every day in each other's face. They're going to see each other more than their family. So bonding and getting to know each other, not that they have to love each other. They have to feel comfortable within the concept of the team that they know what their role is and they can execute their role and take it responsibly and put the time and the effort into being as good as they can be in that role, uh, regardless of whether or not they you know, like the, their, their locker mate or whatever. But what Buck did is, unlike what happens a lot where, you know, managers could say, oh, we're not going to talk about it. It was last year. Let's get over it. The whole Britain not coming in. He reflected on it over the winter, knew it was hanging over the head of the team, knew that the media was going to pounce on it. And he basically said to the team, hey, I screwed up. I'm sorry. And do you know, one of the things that I've always heard from players when I've spoken to them, former players is that they don't trust management and they don't always trust their boss, which is the the manager. Because there's always that, is he being truthful? And if you heard stories of how many times players are lied to, outwardly lied to by their managers, just to sweep issues or to prevent issues from cropping up, your hair would raise. You're probably, if you're, you're around long enough, you're probably not surprised. So I thought that was, that out of all the, you know, stories in that article from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. That, to me, tells you who Buck Showalter is. That tells you what kind of manager you're getting. The maturation of Manny Machado, Manny Machado, how he took a very entitled young player and basically walked him through the early years of his career, made him a better player, and Machado went on to get a huge contract. Uh, he even talked about how the bullpen management is outstanding. J.J. Hardy talked about his attention to detail. You think a guy who has the attention to detail that Buck Showalter does, a guy that helped build the Arizona Diamondbacks from nothing, from a concept, to nearly beating the Mets in the NLDS, and then the following year after he handed it to Bob Brenly, who was a broadcaster, they won a championship. Winning a championship in that short span of time ain't easy. Ain't easy. And the, and the Diamondbacks did that. They've called him the most prepared guy ever. Um, he he knows baseball. He he communicates in a way which will get these guys thinking and respecting him. And if and and if I'm a, a betting man, I think you'll see a better version of Pete Alonso who could use that. Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil, 
you know, so if Dom Smith's still around, something like that. Uh, that is those kind of anecdotes, those kind of stories. That's old school coaching and managing. That's what's missing in today's game, and the Mets just got it. Do you realize the Mets have gotten this wrong for 20 years? I have never been this positive about a Mets managerial hire since Bobby Valentine. And all truth aside, Bobby was not the choice back then. He was kind of a controversial choice when he took over in the 90s. So you could even argue that the Mets haven't had a really good manager since Davey Johnson. We're going way back. You're going back, Buddy Harrelson, Jeff Torborg, Dallas Green. Bobby comes in and does an outstanding job amidst a bunch of controversy, amidst seemingly always on the the hot seat with he and Steve Phillips going at it. Bobby's run fizzles out after the 0-2 season. They keep Phillips. They get rid of Bobby because maybe the team was burnt out by his intensity. And they bring in the exact opposite guy, Art Howe, who before... Steve Cohen bestowed this big three-year contract on Buckshaw Walter. Was the high? I couldn't believe this. I didn't know this. I don't know if you guys knew this. Art Howe was the highest-paid manager in Mets history. Talk about lighting up a room and having an interview go well and making you the kind of money, life-changing money. Because let's face it, managers and coaches don't make that kind of money back then. That's big money in 2003. And turning that into basically he was the, the manager for two years and didn't uh, didn't fulfill the third year. Art Howe was supposed to be Lou Pinella. I thought that, you know, if you remember, there was supposed to be Lou Pinella and they wanted Jose Reyes because Pinella wanted out of Seattle. They wound up getting Randy Wynn from Tampa, so it never happened. If Lou Pinella takes over, I think that things might have been a little bit different in Mets history. You wouldn't go from Art Howe to Willie Randolph to Jerry Manuel to Terry Collins, and I know you all love Terry in the audience, and I saw the tweets over at my at Mike Silva Media Twitter handle, but Terry was not a good manager, 16 good weeks in seven years. I'm not going to talk about that. And then, of course, you've got the whole carousel, Mickey, Ro- Mickey Calloway, Biltron, Rojas, and now Buck Showalter. Two decades it's taken me to get excited about the Mets hiring a manager. Two decades. And they finally got it right, and there really was no other choice. I know I heard about Quattraro doing this great interview and convincing these guys that he could run a clubhouse, but you don't know. And Espada has been this guy that seems to always be a bridesmaid in the interviews. Kind of like how Willie Randolph was before he got the job with the Mets. Any other time in team history, I might have said, you know what? Because you've heard me say it. I want a guy that's going to be here for the next 10 years and build and grow and give stability to an organization that has had no stability for a long time. Yeah, Terry Collins was here seven years, and they had that run. And you could make the argument from 2010 to 2017, uh, or just about right before the end of 2017 when Alderson got sick and had to leave, there was consistency in the organization. So I shouldn't say that. And it wasn't a horrible period of baseball, but it was a fast and fleeting period. It was a couple of quick jolts and everything else was almost like a malaise. So it didn't feel like that consistency was a good consistency. It was a consistency that I didn't like. I've been dying for this team, which has had fits and starts. And it seems like you have the Mania era and that's going to be the Mets identity. And that bombs and fizzles out. And, and, and now you have a guy that has so much experience going all the way back to his days in the Yankees minor league system. Has helped build organizations literally from the ground up. 
turned around a difficult situation in Baltimore almost immediately under a demanding owner who, unlike Cohen, and I guess this the jury's out on this, had a huge amount of dysfunction. And unlike, he was a lot like Cohen earlier in his career when he would spend back in the 90s when he first took over the Orioles. Didn't want to spend the kind of money to give Buck Showalter every resource possible. And those Orioles teams were, were pretty much a thorn in the side of the Yankees and, and nearly went to the World Series. So you, you can't ask for more than that. Uh, as far as the dissenters and what they say on Twitter, look, you guys will act like analytics is this like, and I said this last week, that it's this high-level MIT, Harvard thinking that nobody could figure out. And I don't know, it's only certain people that could figure it out. The concepts are derived from baseball. And they're turned into an equation and an acronym or a word so that we can tabulate it, catalog it, and research it. And then go to this database and use it in some way, shape, or form. The guy will figure it out. And you know what? Maybe he could filter through what information matters. Just because the sports science staff says that Jeff McNeil needs to be off this after this many days because he's going to go into a rut after that doesn't mean that's what's going to happen in reality today. Because as he said on that MLB Network show with Costas, you don't know what's going on. The spreadsheet, the paper, the guy up in the office who's not even on the road trip, who's probably back at City Field, he doesn't know how the conversations are going. He doesn't know the work that the guy's doing. He doesn't know that, you know, like, the remember what was it? Uh, was it Dakota Hudson that... Uh, Pete Alonso had this thing going back to college with and hit a couple of home runs off of him a couple of years ago in uh, St. Louis. I think that was the guy. I'm trying to remember. It was Dakota Hudson. I can't remember right now. But you get the point where I'm going. I know that everybody sees Tampa and they're like, oh, we got to be like the Rays. The Rays do a hell of a lot of scouting. I hate to tell you. Follow Kevin Kernan over at Bull 9. They do a hell of a lot of scouting. And they use data. And I don't know much about Kevin Cash because... Don't cover him. Don't spend a lot of time. Sounds like he's a great manager. The Rays could take that kind of risk and and take a young manager and hope that they turn out like a Buck Showalter. Mets can't do that right now. And what the most ridiculous criticism is like, well, he hasn't won anything. The same group of people that tell you that the randomness of the playoffs, you can't hold anybody accountable to not winning championships are now criticizing Guy for not winning a championship. You heard Billy Epler at his opening press conference. You got maybe the best teams got a 15, 16% chance to win the World Series. That's the best team. That's everything rock solid going your way. Well, I don't know if Buck Showalter's always had the best teams every year. Had a pretty good team in Arizona. Got a little unlucky, a lot unlucky in New York with the 94 strike. And then... Everything gets short-circuited in 95 in the Tory situation. Bad timing. So I'm not using hyperbole here. This might be the most important move this offseason because you could bring in anybody you want. The stability and the credibility that this guy brings will be measurable, even if it's only for the three-year deal because he'll set this franchise on the right course and we got to get out of this LOL Mets. Oh, gosh, look at that. They stubbed their toe again. Ha, ha, ha. Because that's what the media wants. That's what they want to do. And the Mets fall right into it. 
you got to clean that up. They got to be professional. Professional in a way where I think Rojas was trying to do that, talking about process and getting them to work. But I think there needs to be a guy that could provide more uh, of some of the other things we talked about earlier, especially with handling of the media and the experience and the mentorship that is less peer colleague and more, and then J.J. Hardy used the term, father-son, almost like a, a dad. This is the uh, best hire again, like I said, in two decades. And I think it's going to go fabulously well. This is exactly what I wanted Brody Van Wagenen to do with Joe Girardi back in 2019. And whatever, that's old and ancient history. Beware a manager, and this is for the rest of the National League. Beware a manager trying to get that final cherry on top of his resume. Gene Michael said it in that documentary over at the MLB Network. Not having a championship probably keeps him out of the Hall of Fame. Even he's got all these Hall of Fame accomplishments as a manager. Uh, expansion team building up. What he did in Baltimore. The number of wins he's had. The character and, and, and the way he's comported himself. And it sounds like he's evolved from a guy that didn't want players to wear their hat backwards in batting practice to understanding, as I've told you, something that A.J. Hinch said in Andy Martino's book, that sometimes leadership is putting a line and letting people, uh, you know, kind of figuring out what you could tolerate. Sometimes you got to figure out what you could tolerate. You can't fight every battle. But that manager that needs that championship, that has that hunger at his age, mid-60s, you might get the best version of Buck Walter that you could possibly ever imagine, because he was in the game, he was out of the game. You're, you know, when your when your career is ending and you think you may never get another chance again, and you get that chance, sometimes you're like a an animal out of the cage. And also to criticize him for that 47 win season when the Orioles were ripping apart, rebuilding that final year. Look, I could give Buck Walter the entire Binghamton Mets and put them at City Field and say, win a championship with them. He may still be a good manager and put a good process in place and, and do everything right. He ain't going to win a championship. So that those are all little tiny things that the analytics crowd and the younger generation like to throw because they want to have a manager that they identify with. And it's almost like, I don't want to, it's not your, your, your parents' brand of product that you want. You want your own product. You don't want to do you. You don't want the the old uh, school stuff. Um, now it's time to fill out the coaching staff. Get this lockout done, which we're nowhere near as that. I've been telling you that it looks like exactly how this thing was going to play out is playing out, and finish the build of the 2022 Mets because you know hopefully there'll be a season that starts on time, and I anticipate it will because I don't think the players are that foolish to go out there and mess around with this thing too deep into the off season, but that remains to be seen. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, there's been some talk about the Mets building a super rotation. And we talked last week about how improving the starting rotation is not going to be easy through free agency because even the ace that's left, which may cost some money, and right now money doesn't appear to be an object, comes with some drawbacks. So what can the trade market produce? We talked about Oakland last week. Well, you may have some reinforcements in Cincinnati, and it's been touted that perhaps the Mets could get themselves another ace or a future ace of the younger variety, not in the same vein as Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom, but it's going to cost them a top prospect. Is that really a good thing? I'll talk about that and more right after this.
The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at mikesilva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, talkingmetspodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Now, before I get to the whole starting pitching market, which now we're just doing mental bubble gum. I mean, there's no transactions. I heard that Buck Showalter, who I think it's Tuesday the Zoom interview is going to be to announce his, uh, his becoming the next manager of the Mets, uh, I don't think I don't think he can mention any players. So if they ask, well, where do you think you're going to play this guy or that guy? He's got to plead the fifth because of the lockout. That's pretty funny. What a whack. I, I have to tell you, every day I wake up, sports and the world in general gets wackier and wackier. It's a cartoon that won't go away. But anyway, I get it. That's another story for another day. Did you see? And our my friend over on Twitter, he would he would be so angry with me. And I, I got to get to this whole the Reds and Luis Castillo rumor, because there's a lot to that that I have I have to say, and I don't think it's going to be what you think. Uh, Samsung and the Mets, Samsung has this press release over on their site. Uh, where is it here? You know, as you get something, oh, here it is. Samsung Newsroom, so I'm going like a corporate press thing. But what, what was impressive to me, so the Mets announced basically that they're upgrading City Field. And I think... And this ties into what I'm about to say with improvements of the roster. I think the most exciting thing about the Mets right now with Cohen, and let's see how long it lasts. Hopefully his bank account, he's a smart financial guy, and the market could obviously take a sideways. It'll take a lot to put a dent in his uh, his pocketbook, but this guy will spend any money possible. Never did I think, even with his money, that the Mets would go to the lengths to get Max Scherzer. They didn't haggle with Showalter. He wanted Showalter. He got him. And I think Joel Sherman talked about this in the uh, the post, where that kind of mindset might mean the Mets go after another big fish like a Carlos Correa. Or, you know, maybe Chris Bryan. I know there's been talk about that. I wonder if maybe Michael Conforto is still an option. Now, I'll get to him later because I have to talk about Brandon Nimmo because I think he's finally getting his due. But anyway, it looks like they're going to spare no expense to upgrade City Field. Looks like they're going to be putting a bunch of LCD screens uh, and all the different public spaces to watch games. They're going to have all the sorts of channels to watch games, have replay systems, a good board with the slow motion replay systems. That's going to cause all sorts of issues with replay and the umpires. The umpires are going to be brutalized. And uh, they're going to have the latest LED technology and 4K video on the scoreboard. They're basically replacing all... What really is, when City Field opened in 2009, state-of-the-art technology. But you all know, look, if you have a TV that's four years old or five years old, pre, you know, the kind of new streaming technology that's out there, it's old. I mean, you buy a TV for three grand, the next year it's 800 bucks because they got the latest thing. It's Technology is a crazy, crazy market. But what I think this is exciting to me, hearing about the whole upgrade of City Field is that the owner gets it. He knows that winning is important. And everybody will come if the team wins. But sports, especially baseball, is increasingly becoming a situation 
because of the amount of time that you have to spend at the ballpark, that you really got to be able to have people wander around. You know, young kids go, they, they go to the back out there and do the wiffle ball thing. Obviously, you want to get something to eat. It looks like they'll be able to give you kind of like a, a wait time for your food if you order something. They're really trying to make this high-level concierge. I know for a fact, I talked to somebody that knows very well what this guy is all about. This guy wants to attract Wall Street. He thinks Wall Street dollars and corporate dollars will make a big difference. And of course they will. It's revenue. It's New York City. Regardless of the pandemic and what's going on and how much damage it's been done, I still believe, maybe not tomorrow and maybe not in the immediately near future, I don't think people are going to completely give up on New York City. I think it's transitioning, but I don't think they can give up on New York City. And and just like the 80s, when the Mets with the elevator going up and the Yankees with the established brand going down, the Mets have a chance to seize this opportunity. And I think Cohen's doing it. I think part of that is upgrading the ballpark. And then much more complicated would be upgrading the area around there and get rid of the, the, the chop shops that are left. And basically, it's a garbage dump over there. And figuring out how to make that state of the art so there's a community, an area for people to go and eat and... Eventually, when all this stuff is behind us that's going on in the world, make it a destination where, uh, I mean, I, I went to Pittsburgh a few years ago, saw, you know, people, I walked over the bridge over there to go to PNC uh, Park. It's beautiful. I mean, the Mets really, I'm jealous of other teams. I mean, even the Yankees on River Avenue with stands and stuff, they got something. I mean, it's nothing like some of these other parks, but. So, my friend Jay Money over on Twitter. Uh, Joe, jmoney8655, that's my take on the whole Samsung thing. I think it's more that you can see the commitment of the owner and what he's willing to do. So, But back to the point, I teased it right before we took a break here. So I read Mike Puma's column, and, and the one thing about the Post and Puma, and Puma's been on the show, and I like him. I mean, he's a longtime journalist. Great book he's got out. We promoted it, promoted it on the show. Is Puma's good at going, asking sources for speculative type of information, and then he, he's a very good writer where he paints the picture because it's his job to get people to em- click and engage. He paints a picture like it's a rumor where it's well-sourced speculation. And it, what drives me nuts about that is fans today really and, – and this is important. You really have to do work to understand what you're reading, whether it's sports, worldviews, politics, food. There's so much opinion – wrapped up in fact that your head will spin and that's why we have so much misinformation out there and that's a whole nother story but the sports world goes and flips itself upside down and an opinion is generated about players and teams and and organizations because of this kind of stuff but that aside so Mets top 10 prospects uh, Ronnie Mauricio who had a nice power year and if you remember uh, Keith Rad. Uh, who's the Brooklyn Cyclones announcer, talked a little bit about him at the end of the year when we had him on. Here's a guy that hit 19 home runs in Brooklyn, playing in that league, not easy. Looks to be a a play shortstop, big kid, not the position you want to be in if uh, you're in the Mets organization because that's clogged up for 10 years unless something happens. Don't know. He's he's playing in the the Winter League and down in the Dominican. Not sure what... The plans are for him to play another position, but in, in a lot of theory, he if depending on what the scouts think about his progress, and he's very young, he just turned twenty, and a guy with that kind of power in the old New York Penn League in Brooklyn, 
which is now what, Class A, whatever. Uh, that's impressive. That's impressive. So you want to be careful about giving them, giving them away. Now, I respect the hell out of our friend Ernie Dove, who does all that prospect stuff and has been on the show on Twitter. And he basically said he'd drive Mauricio to the airport if a package of Mauricio being in the, the, the forefront landed the Mets' Reds pitcher Luis Castillo. Now, Castillo, what's good about him, he's got a couple of years more control. He's not in the free agent until 2024. He's been well-regarded. And I said, hmm, I saw the headline. I'm like, that's interesting because we talked last week about how it's not going to be easy to upgrade the rotation. Carlos Rodon is a, is a free agent. He's a guy with a lot of injury history. He's going to probably cost you 20 plus million. You spend that, you take chance on him. You know, Kikuchi from Seattle is much, much more into the back end of the rotation type, much more hittable. And you got a couple of those kind of guys in Taiwan Walker and potentially Peterson and who, who's to say McGill, uh, Trevor Williams maybe. I'm not sure what Trevor Williams is, if, whether he's going to be bullpen or starter, but you get the point. So what young starter ready to hit the market can the Mets go out and possibly acquire? Now, the first press conference, Billy Epler said they don't want to trade any of their top prospects. And I really don't want them either unless they're getting something really, really special. But when you hear Luis Castillo, and we've seen him pitch pretty well at times uh, against the Mets, you think, well, that's that's the guy. I mean, that's like, uh, is that going and getting not necessarily Johan Santana, but maybe getting a guy that can be the next ace, that can transition from the Scherzer, the Grom, and be that guy that will take over that staff or be able to be a different player when he's not expected to be the ace of his staff because he's got those two veterans in front of him. And hey, Maybe he learns a ton from Max Scherzer. And you can't learn from Scherzer and DeGrom. Who the hell are you going to learn from? You also have Sonny Gray. And if the Reds are looking to slash payroll, there's some options there. Tyler Maley is, uh, I believe, on that staff and what uh, what have you. Um, but then I started to look at Castillo's numbers. And I said, well, I understand Oakland shedding Monta, Semenaya, and Bassett because of the situation with the stadium and, and Oakland is just, they need to get out of there and they need a reboot. It's not going to work there. Their model is just is unsustainable as time goes on. And I understand Cincinnati's in a small market, but why would you want to get rid of this guy now? I know why you want to get a, a haul because he's two years before, actually three years before free agency, 2024. And I'm saying, well, the Reds, Almost made the play. They were in contention for a playoff spot. I'm assuming they still want to compete. They didn't commit any dollars to Bauer. Maybe they're looking at the market and they're looking at what guys like Scherzer got and Stroman and all this other stuff and what have you. And, um, you know, away you go. And they're like, well, let's, let's, let's face it. We can't afford this guy. But you still have time. You don't have to do this now. So that got my red flag up. And then I looked a little further. And I'm saying, hmm, let me see what this guy is uh went to baseball reference i look at the comp taiwan walker carlos Rodon. okay i get what walker is walker's a good guy that could be a number three sometimes plays more four sometimes five at the end of the year but he could be a three carlos Rodon is a guy that the white sox expected to be an ace and was every bit that but can't stay on the field not saying that stay on the field is castillo's issue 
And then I start looking at where he ranks on fan graphs, and he's right there, like top 25 and, and wins above replacement. He's right there with Robbie Ray and Marcus Stroman. And look, Robbie Ray just got a big contract in uh, in free agency and can be considered, quote-unquote, a potential ace. I don't think he's that, but I think Kevin Gosman was more that, and the Mets rightfully made that, him a priority. So then I go, okay, um, let me just look at this, and I'm like, and here's the thing that I didn't realize. Because sometimes when you're so focused on the Mets and your own team, even if you play fantasy baseball, you're like, you don't... And these days, nobody looks at wins and losses anymore. But that's how you're still... Ultimately, you win or you lose the game. You make the playoffs based on wins, not on wins above replacement. And he lost 16 games. And I'm saying, well, if he converts four or five or six of those, which a guy that is demanding a top five prospect top three prospect of the Mets organization and oh by the way maybe a Jeff McNeil or Dom Smith uh I'd hold off on giving up McNeil right now especially now that Javier Baez is not in the equation um I would have expected that guy to be a little bit more now I know he had a horrible first half rebounded had like an ERA over eight and lost six games in one month sometime in either May or June but that still very much opens my eyes and then I say okay Cincinnati, maybe Cincinnati is that band box. No, he's better at home than he's on the road. So, and historically, I look at his career numbers. He's a guy whose FIP is three seven six, ERA plus of one twenty. He's Marcus Stroman. I mean, that's not bad. And I absolutely am interested in that. But how much am I willing to give up now? If Mauricio, which very well could be a lottery ticket, and a lottery ticket at a position that they don't need, then yeah, I guess you could do that, but I wouldn't start creating this mega package for Castillo because I'm feeling a little bit, and here's my concern. I'm going to give you a couple of comps that are not on baseball reference, but comps because what the Mets are trying to do is something that the Yankees have tried to do for a long time. And until they got Jared Cole they really weren't successful. Now, Cole was much more established than the guys I'm about to tell you, but didn't the Yankees try to do this with Javier Vasquez at one point? And didn't they try to do this with Carl Pavano at one point? And James Paxton at one point? So, and Paxton's a little different. Paxton is more like Carlos Rodon when you really think about it, and that's the Mets doing that comp. So as you you remember, if you're a New York baseball fan and you have any kind of, you're not on a rock and only watch Mets stuff, you know how some of that stuff went out. Vasquez was a much better pitcher. And some of that was about off the field stuff. But these were young pitchers like Castillo that were in demand, that the Yankees figured we could bring them in, get them in in their, you know, early prime, you know, 27, 28, right? That, that sweet spot where you're really in theory, as you look at what analytics brings out, you're going to be the best version of yourself that you're going to be as a player. I could see Castillo being that. There's Jimmy that he walks a lot of guys. He looks very hittable. The walks bother me. I compare him. If you go look at the comps, go to Fangraphs, Baseball Reference, whatever. Montas, Manaya, Bassett, they're all, they're better. Now, when you line up all these young pitchers, my theory is who's the guy I could get that I have the most realistic chance of re-signing maybe getting some arbitration year out of them, what the least amount I could give up, and who's the best. So I think it goes back to the package. I think Oakland 
is going to probably know that this is going to be... They got to trade these guys. So yeah, their package is going to be rich, but their leverage is not the same as the Reds because I think the Reds are the kind of team that could float it out there and say, if I get it, I get it. If not, I need this guy to win because I don't think the Reds are rebuilding. Yeah, Castellanos might leave, but uh, they seem to be a team that's trying to win. They're definitely shedding payroll. Look at what they, they did with Wade Miley. But are they doing a Florida Marlins type dump? I haven't heard that yet. Lot to come. I mean, let's face it. The lockout's going to be very interesting. You all know what's going on with COVID out there, which I think could potentially impact. I've been telling you, live in-person sports, at least at the time being, there's going to be, uh, and I know a lot of it came back last year, but I still have concerns that if I'm a bad team, you're going to have a percentage of the fan base that's not going to bother going into a large gathering. I don't care what they require you to put on or whatever. People are going to be scared. And, and if you are actively not competing, why would they bother? So I'm not as so sure like our friend Ernie Dove on Twitter or Mike Puma at the New York Post that Castillo is the shoe-in. Would I love him? Upgrade for sure. Would I love him at any cost? Uh-uh. Would I love him if Jeff McNeil in the deal? No. Unless they know something about McNeil that I don't. Would I love him for Mauricio? Maybe. Really need to hope that the Mets, as they build up their front office under Billy Epler, knows what they have. And I'm sure they do in Mauricio because, you know, you're going to say, well, you always poo-poo Kelnick. Diaz was an elite closer. And I felt the Mets were close enough where that would have made a difference. And yeah, they got Cano, but they shedded contract for Cano. That was Diaz for Kelnick. And Diaz was established and he was elite. And his, you know, obviously the one point about the scouting report that maybe Van Wagenen needed to look more into was the consistency part and the makeup part. Maybe the makeup was something, but that's old news. I'm okay with giving out, uh, giving away Mauricio, but guy's got power, plays middle infield, very young. Hmm, you know that that might be a guy that at some point could fetch you somebody better than Luis Castillo. Maybe. I'm not sure. So, before we go gaga over bringing in another ace here, let's just take a step back and let the lockout marinate and see, look, there are options here for young pitchers. This is one of those things where you don't have a lot of elite prospects. You're going to continue to build up the system with picks, but you don't have a lot of elite prospects. If you're going to trade one of them, you got to be right. Just like with this managerial search, you had to be right. So hopefully, and I'm sure the Mets do, and I'm sure Billy Epler does know what he's doing, hopefully they'll be right. So that's my thoughts on uh, Luis Castillo. Uh, And what would be funny here, one last thought, what would be funny is you bring the second Luis Castillo into the organization. I'm sure there'll be a lot of memes and jokes about the drop pop-up on that whole thing so not related from at least from what i understand all right let's take a quick break when we return is brandon nimmo finally getting the love he deserves i think so our buddy pat ragazzo over at sports illustrator wrote a nice piece because guess what nimmo's going to be coming up on free agency and i was surprised at how much some agents in the industry think he should get and maybe finally baseball in general is realizing that he is an elite offensive player And perhaps maybe one of the best, if not the best, offensive players on the Mets. 
You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Bobby Valentine was a polarizing figure during his time as Mets manager. Who better to give us a balanced view of how it was playing for him than Hall of Famer Mike Piazza? Charming guy, sweetheart guy, obviously. When you meet him, he ingratiates you, you feel... And it's sincere. I mean, it's not fake. Uh, Smart as hell. One of the smartest baseball guys I've ever seen. Extremely well at evaluating talent. Uh, Now to swing over to the other side. Huge ego. um, Kind of like a, a, you know, one of these gamblers. I I play a little bit of Texas Hold'em poker. And you're playing with these guys at the table and you're trying to figure them out. You know, you're trying to figure out tells and whatnot. And it just seemed like he was that guy that shoved in every hand, you know, and really liked to let it roll. I remember one game, I think we were playing Baltimore in an inner uh, league game, playing in Baltimore, but he took away the DH and somehow did some kind of move to where basically took the DH away. You know, I remember all the media saying, oh, he's, he liked getting criticized so he could shove it, you know, wh- where the sun doesn't shine to people. And I think that was good and bad. And, and, he used to play little tricks as far as just to mo- try to motivate me. Like I, I wrote about it in my book one day where he said, oh, you have off tomorrow. And then I came walking in and I was in the lineup. You know, I caught like a weekend. It was a day game after night game and I thought I was going to be off. And then he had told the media before that, you know, he was kind of playing with my head a little bit. And I was furious. You know, I wanted to just basically knock him out. I kind of, you know, I grit my teeth. I got through it. I think we won the games. So I think the point is, I mean, you know, I remember Chris Wheeler from the Phillies used to, couldn't stand Bobby. I mean, and used to call him top step Bobby, you know, so he'd always be on the top step of the dugout, you know, kind of head in the stands, you know, like, hey, look at me, you know, and he had that little bit of a sort of a Hollywood mentality. I could play for anyone. I played hard. I, I didn't like always sometimes a little bit of the mental judo that he would he would do. But ultimately, as a player, if you play hard, you keep your nose down, and you don't really try to get inside his head, you, you, you can survive and you can thrive. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. You know, I did not mention, and I had the clip in the opening, the montage coming in, but was it not interesting, the little slip-in that Todd Zeal did about Marcus Stroman on Sports Night New York? I think that was on Saturday night, about Stroman being divisive in the clubhouse, and I'm sure Stroman, who has rabbit ears, will hear about it, if he's definitely heard about it. I'm blocked on Twitter by Stroman. I don't understand it, because I always supported him what i what i just called him out on is like you know you you you're bouncing on covid season because of your health because you just had that torn calf and you don't want to hurt yourself before free agency i really don't believe it's about health and safety now but i respected his decision it was his right he played he had a right he gets you know the players get played by the owners all the time he has a right to do that so he blocked me but for the most part even though i wasn't always into his antics I thought he had some flair, and at times it was cool, but he never sat well with me. I don't have a t- and 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 I think I still supported them bringing him back. And the contract he got from Chicago was rather reasonable. I'll tell you what, it must be true because I find it interesting that the Mets wouldn't even match that kind of contract that he got the three-year deal with the, the opt-outs in there and whatnot. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. 
And I'd see people say, well, how does he know he wasn't in the clubhouse? You don't think Todd has contacts in the organization? He's a former Matt. You don't think he knows players? You don't think he knows people around the league? Yeah, it's harder with Zoom to do your job, but Todd Zeal has a little bit of an easier time getting people on the phone and getting respect from people than maybe someone like you or I who has to cover the team from Zoom. But that's another story for another day. So our friend Pat Ragazzo of Sports Illustrated, also over, the, over at Barstool with his buddy Frank the Tank uh, podcast, wrote an interesting piece about Brandon Nemo, basically starting to look at the fact that after this year, similar to Michael Conforto, Brandon Nimmo is going to be a free agent. And what can he get? Time flies. I mean, we've been talking about Brandon Nimmo. Think about it. We've been talking about Brandon Nimmo since he got drafted in 2011, which is like eons ago. This kid out of Nebraska, non-baseball environment, getting the number you know number one draft pick. Uh, at one point, it was, it was very disappointing as he made his way up through the organization. And Jose Fernandez, the late Ho- Jose Fernandez, may God rest his soul, made the Mets look really bad because he, they picked a lot. He was picked by the Marlins a couple of picks later. And here they are. They're waiting for this kid who walks a lot and who's learning the money ball type of approach to hitting to come up. And then he comes up. He's a backup. He's hurt. He doesn't know how to hit. He doesn't seem to swing at any pitches. But quietly, if you watch the Mets every day like I do, and I know you do, Brandon Nimmo is a run creator, and he's an elite run creator. There's no doubt about it. Nothing sexy about his game. He's always producing, though, on offense. Yeah, he gets hit by pitch, he walks, he's got power, he's got a little bit of speed. He just he's, Everything he does is efficient and quiet on the offensive side. There's not a lot of flair, other than the fact that he points to the sky because he's a, he's a guy of, of, of faith who, who that's important to him. Nothing wrong with that. And you really need advanced stats. This is where advanced stats were the things that 25 years ago a scout would tell a reporter saying, hey, Brandon Nimmo's a guy that is the engine to an offense. I'm not saying he's Ricky Henderson, but he's providing the kind of on base and run creation that a Ricky Henderson type could. Minus the crazy stolen base. I'm not comparing to Ricky Henderson, but I'm telling you, he's pointing more in that direction. A scout would have to tell you about these intangibles. Now you have things like RC, WRC Plus and War that tell you that. If you look at Nimmo when he's played full-time in 2018, when he was healthy for the most part, when he came back late in the year in 19 after being out, the 2020 pandemic-shortened season, and then just his 92 or so games that he played this year, he is a top 15 outfielder when it comes to war. He would be top 15 if you put him in there. He might be top 10. He actually is top 10 in run creation in all of baseball. This is this is a guy whose run production or run creation production is right up there with Chris Bryant, who everybody's ready to give a $100 million contract. He's improved defensively. I'm sure analytics and positioning helped him in center. I don't think he's a center fielder. You don't need him in center anymore. You could put him in a corner even better. He's a great guy. He's a character guy. He's a guy you could trust to put the uniform on. There's nothing not to like about this guy, but he's vanilla. And yes, there's the big downfall. He's hurt all the time. And it's freaky injuries. It's the thumb. It's the neck. Whatever. I mean, he, he can't stay on the field. If this guy was able to play 150 games, 
uh, he might be a top five offensive performer if you factor in all the advanced analytics and run creation and war. He he would be looked at elite. Now I saw people laugh to say, "How could he get a George Springer type deal? Seven years, 150 million." And when I first saw Pat Ragazzo mention that in his article from other agents, I kind of chuckled. I'm like, "Well, I don't know about that, Pat." But there's also some that say he gets seven years, 125. In 90-something games last year, he's worth about 28 million bucks, according to Fangraphs. The same site that there's been proposals out there that the union should they the base the owners prefer the union to use as part of arbitration. So there's some some credibility there, I would think. Anyone who's listened to the show for a long time knows I love Nimmo. I was not always like that. I had no problem with him being traded for Jay Bruce. I, I didn't care. When he was in the minor leagues, they, because again, in the minor leagues, we don't get to see him. We're not around him. We look at this stat sheet that's uh, on MILB.com. And then he comes up and he doesn't swing the bat because he's too patient. But he's evolved. And good thing that they lost. the uh, Good thing that they didn't, because he was in that deal for Jay Bruce. And because of a physical of some sorts, and maybe that's the harbinger of things to come, whatever the Reds saw, they didn't like, and they said, take him out, and they sent uh, Dilson Herrera there. I mean, that's the best swap at the last minute that the Mets could possibly have. Imagine if they traded Nimmo for Bruce. You might be regretting that right now. And at one point, I liked, I thought Herrera, because he was a middle infielder, he had shown some pop, I thought he was the better guy. Shows you what I know. I'm not always right. A lot of the time, though, I am. So... I think the Mets, and I'll say this, letting Conforto walk and going more value-driven on Mark Canna and Starling Marte in the outfield very well could be because they know that Nimmo's market, if he, especially as a big walk year, Nimmo's market could get to the point where you have to choose between him and Conforto. And I'll tell you what, give me Nimmo, a healthy Nimmo. Give me him every day of the week over Conforto. I'm saying that right now. And I wouldn't be surprised, depending on how the post-lockout situation goes for Conforto, that Nimmo winds up, again, if healthy, and that's the big if here in 2022, if Conforto can, uh, if Nimmo can get a bigger contract than Conforto, I think that's possible. Now, I don't know if the Mets will go to 25, 26, 27, 28 million dollars a year, but you look at him in the rankings on fan graphs, he's right up there with guys like Joey Gallo, John Carl Stanton, in terms of overall run creation and war. So I thought that was really interesting, and I, I'm glad to see finally there's some love for this guy because he's a really good player. And when he's not in the lineup, Mets are not a good offensive team. And I think that's part of what their offensive struggles were last year, that they missed him for large chunks of the season. A little, you know, they list them for about 45% of the season. So hopefully that could continue. Uh, hopefully that doesn't continue, and hopefully that they could get him healthy every day. And what better way to put a cherry on top here is to have a big walk year. And then, of course, the Mets have to be honest with his health. He failed the physical to get traded to Cincinnati many years ago. Is there something there that we don't know? The discs in the neck, and I've told you this before, that bothers me because that looks like something that could continuously be a problem. That wasn't the problem this year. It was that freak finger thing. J.D. Davis had that too. So anyway, thought I wanted to round out the, uh, the the content portion of this show with a little Brandon Nimmo love. Good article. Check out Pat Ragazzo over at Sports Illustrated. He's been on the program. 
we'll get him on again. All right, let's take a quick break. Final thoughts, and we'll wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Anyone who listens to me on the Talking Mets podcast knows I am not for tanking. Teams should always try to maximize wins to give the fans hope and something to cheer about. Don't believe me? Listen to what former Met Justin Turner told New York Post beat reporter Mike Puma, who joined us on the program to talk about his book, If These Walls Could Talk. We talk about tanking and competing a lot uh, in today's game. Justin Turner talked about to you those purgatory Mets teams, 11, 12, where they weren't competing. We know the payroll situation. We know they had shortcomings, but he specifically talked about how, if you look back mid-season, they weren't in a horrible position to make a run maybe at a wild card, but the team was so overt about them not wanting to compete, not going out, not even talking about getting big name players. I'm talking about fringy uh, component players to get better and how it impacted them in the back half of those seasons. Now you covered those teams Make sure we think about how players and the human component and how, you know, that had an impact negatively on the team. And, and maybe things could have been a little bit different. Not saying they win a championship, but think about the opportunities lost for those players in the organization with just some little effort that could have been made. Yeah. And Turner talks about that, uh, how frustrating it was, uh, namely that 2012 season, because they got to the all-star break. Uh, they were hanging around in the division. They were only a few games, maybe three, four games out of first place and and uh you know as, as Turner put it they had the the worst bullpen in the league or one of the worst bullpens and maybe if they go out and and, and trade for a couple of relievers uh they're able to to compete the rest of the way and, and they were basically told no uh you know th- this is the team we've got this is uh the team we're going to keep running out there and they come out of the all-star break and go one in ten and you know they're effectively dead at that point and uh you know he as Turner puts it, at that point, they were kind of waiting for, uh, you know, Matt Harvey to get there. They were waiting for Zach Wheeler to get there. They were just kind of in a, a holding pattern waiting for some of the uh, the bigger guns. But, uh, you know, that for, for players on those teams, that, that was a little bit frustrating. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. So I think this is the last time we're going to speak before Christmas. And I want to wish everybody in the audience a Merry Christmas. And what will be the, um, you know, what will be the show schedule like? Because Christmas and New Year is falling on the weekends, and I think it's a Friday into Saturday. So Sunday's obviously an open day. But it's going to be a dark period in baseball. Let's face it. They're not negotiating. There's no transactions. Even when there's been transactions, baseball's kind of started to at least respect the holidays because these guys work so much, these executives, that give them like two days, uh, a little bit. Uh, there's maybe some more humane way of, of doing the job. But I do want to do shows. So we're not taking any time off. We're not doing that. But not necessarily going to be focused on live shows right now. I think we're going to be focused on, you know, more shows that um, are special edition shows. I can tell you for Christmas, uh, the Christmas week, and I don't know if I'll release it for Christmas Eve so you guys can enjoy it throughout the holiday weekend or after. I, I can't promise you that right now, but I'm going to be doing a pretty cool Gil Hodges show, get a little Keith Hernandez involved in that because we really haven't talked about that. 
And I, I, I like that. I think it's the perfect time when there's this down period. And then I'm looking at some vault. I'm going into my old vault from the old NYBD WGBB days and trying to find something maybe for New Year's uh, weekend. And then we could get back at the grind after New Year's. So normally, assuming the schedule is uh, correct, we're really, after New Year, turning the corner and pitchers and catchers are in our sights. Like they're usually like six or seven weeks away. Now, is that the case with 2022? We don't know, but it's amazing how quick the offseason goes. And this offseason has been long, I felt, the first three months because obviously the Mets were dark in October and you had the whole free agency craziness and Cohen and the manager and the GM. I mean, they have packed a lot of content in for us in a couple of months because they needed a GM, they needed a manager, they needed players. And you've got to give these guys credit. They these they were under historical challenges last year when they took over on November 1st. Year two, trying to get this thing going in the right direction and really kind of having a similar situation to year one. Their own self-inflicted because the decisions they made in year one were not good. So uh, you got to give the Mets credit. I think they're in a really good place. This Buck Showalter hiring is tremendously exciting. I think there's more to come. I think you could see that the owner wants to spend money. And the owner wants to make an imprint on his, on this sport with his team. He is not holding back. I'm sure he still wants to dr- derive value from his moves, but he's not holding back. And he's the guy that that is uh, potentially aiming to be a transitional figure in Mets history to a new era where the Mets are, like I said before, not this little engine that could, but a team that is a force to be reckoned with or... Maybe the Queen's version of the Yankees. So stay tuned for more than that. So that's the schedule. I will be bringing uh, content to you. Probably more retrospectives. Of course, if there's news, we have to scrap it. A couple of years ago, if you remember, we were going to take a lazy January going into the vault. And then sign stealing happened. And that got all blown up. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for joining me today. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkamitspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a Merry Christmas. We'll be back with another Talking Mets Podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.